You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. So, um, it's so fun, but yeah, we're getting back into honor today. We took a couple weeks off from talking about honor, and now we're getting back into it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to... Um, to teach today and teach on this, and um, I'm a <coughs> teacher by definition, and um, not definition, but <laughs> gifting, and um, whenever I get up here, I have a thousand things I want to say, and so I'm trying to condense all the thoughts that aren't on my page to not be here at this present moment, but for those of you that don't know, that's my wife, Danielle, over there with our precious baby, Juliet, and we have a three-year-old son who's in the pre-K. His name is Everett, and he's amazing. So he'll be the one that's blonde hair, some curls running around after church. And so if you see him, that's our son. He's awesome. But we have, um, like I said, we've been talking about honor for the past several months and really been unpacking what that looks like. What does this look like in every situation we find ourselves in? And I think we've almost covered all the situations. And so it's a core value of us as a church, as Acts 2, is honor. And we want to honor well in what we do. As we've been going through this, I really had the, the thought of there's a difference sometimes in the way we honor and the heart behind it. Can you guys agree with that? Yeah. So honor out of obligation is respect. So growing up, a lot of times you hear respect people, respect your elders, respect these people, respect those in authority, and that's great. And again, I'm not saying don't respect. I'm talking about the heart, okay? So don't everybody go, Andy said, don't respect anybody. I was raised in, um, in the South, in Georgia, and um, that is the South. I don't count Florida as the South. So um, <laughs> those of you that grew up here, you can claim it, but I just don't believe it. But North Georgia is the South, and that's where we are. Anybody know Helen, Georgia? Yeah, some reason everybody knows that town. I always avoided it, but um, I grew up about 15 minutes from there, and so that's where I'm from. It's beautiful, beautiful country. I'll be up there next weekend. That's why I know what I'm doing, and um, enjoying time with my father on Father's Day and taking our daughter to meet the rest of the family. But back to what I was talking about, the honor out of obligation is respect, and this is something that I think is is big if you really start to think about it, right? How many of you have seen movies, television shows, or heard someone say, you don't have to like me, you don't have to love me, but you have to respect me? So in that, this person now is obligated to respect them, even though they don't like them. And that's how I came up with this. And another example is a drill sergeant, right? You better respect them. I don't know from personal experience, but they look very scary. (laughs) Pictures that I've seen of friends in boot camp and stuff, I see all of their veins coming out of their neck and out of their head. And so you will respect them or who knows what they'll do. I'm not sure. I had a friend who was in the army. His name was Mitchell. And uh, he's since has been, he's done. I don't know what the term is for that. I don't know if he was honorably discharged or if his time just came up and he left. I don't know how that works, but he did that. But I remember I would uh, write him notes when he was in boot camp, and then I found out that he would have to do 50 push-ups for every note he got. And I was like, well, that's not nice. But um, I told him that in one of the notes, and he goes, oh, don't worry, they don't do that anymore, so you're good to go. And so we did. But fun story about that, he was deployed in Afghanistan, and just about the entire time he was deployed, I would wake up at 2 to 3 a.m. every single night. And what did I do? I prayed for him, and he's back. 
He's good. But I just think it's crazy, you know. I knew the first time I woke up in the middle of the night, I knew I'm supposed to pray for him. So, anyways, um, yeah, the next thing that I really wanted to talk about that'll kind of launch us into where we're going is honor out of choice is kingdom. And so that's the difference between the two. When we choose to honor, when we're not obligated to honor, when we choose to honor, then we begin to see a difference in the way we communicate with people, the way we view people, the way we love people, the way we reach out to people, all right? When you want to honor because you see the value in the person, right? Even if they, you may not agree with them, you may not agree with everything they say, you may not agree with everything they believe, but you see the value in who they are. That's when you're beginning to honor by choice, and it begins to make an impact. You're choosing to honor because it comes from who you are, right? It's not based on them, you know? It's not based on holiday, if I'm going to honor her or not. It's based on who I am and what's inside of me and what I want to portray and release on people wherever I go. And so it's important to begin to realize that because it is, begins to really impact those around us when we choose to operate in this way. When we choose to honor people, it begins to impact them around us. There's the culture is caught, not taught, right? I think we've talked about that in here a good bit. But culture is caught, not taught. A fun example of that is the last time we were in Georgia for Christmas. Sometime. Sometime. I think it was Christmas. My, um, my brother was playing with our son, <coughs> and um, he, he's Uncle Tyler, and they're in the wolf pack together, and they have an absolute ball because they are the same person. And, um, <coughs> and so he was, Everett was doing something. I don't remember what it was. And we simply redirected Everett by saying, hey, buddy, you can do this. And we continued to do that. Instead of saying, no, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, we chose to say, you can do this instead. You know, you cannot climb the stairs, but you can run over there and touch the wall. You cannot go slam that door, but you can come out here and do this. And my brother began to catch on to it. See, catch, right? And then he looked at me and he goes, oh, that's how you do that. We not one time told him how to do it. We not one time told him to give Everett choices, but he caught it and he started doing it with him. Why? Because culture's caught, not taught. While we are teaching to you from up here, what we're really hoping is that you're catching it. Because when you catch it, and when you're seeing it exampled, exampled? No. When you're seeing the modeled, thank you. When you're seeing it modeled in front of you by your friends, by your peers, by your leaders, then you're catching it, and then you're able to give it away, right? So you can't give anything away that you don't own. So here's the deal. If we master honor in this house, we are the most honorable people on the planet. And if it stays here, then we've completely missed it. Completely missed it. This whole concept of honor is not just like, this is how we will behave, because that's weird. And we're not going to do that. But this whole concept of honor and honoring people is something that we take with us, right? If we were to make Acts 2 Church a place where we come and we said, this is how we will behave here, this is how we will act here, if we simply do that, then we're missing everything that Jesus did, right? It's important that we catch stuff, we grasp it, and we take it with us. And so we are called to disciple and lead others into honor. We're called to disciple people, period, right? It's an important thing to begin to understand. And um, I have had, before I go on anymore, 1982. Does that date mean anything to anybody, that year? You were born? What day? June 25th. June 25th. 
What what about you? December twenty third. Carl? Graduated from high school. I was here in March fifth. Is that March fifth, nineteen eighty two? Ring a bell to anybody? Okay, we're gonna go with nineteen yes? Well, you can take it, too. There's March 5th and 1982 in the room. So I'm just going to release this over all of you guys. But really what I'm feeling is God is going to expand your tent pegs. And that's what I've just been hearing. And that's real funny for you, Randall, because your, your tent's about to get bigger. And, um, but, yeah, God is going to expand your tent pegs in capacity, right? What you can carry and what you have the ability to carry, God's going to be expanding that for you. And so I just want to give you guys that and... Um, there you are. So now I can move on. Um, discipleship. Sorry, we've got to go back. I've got to tell you about that. So that's only the second time I've ever done that with a date. And God's really been, I've been asking God to really challenge me in that area. Whenever I step up front here to teach and I do it at youth some, God, give me something crazy and I'm going to run with it. And then if I fail, I fail. But if it's if I fail, I succeed, right? Because I was honoring what he did and what he told me. And so just want to encourage you all to risk it. It's not that scary at all. So back to discipleship. Here we go. Tent pegs are expanded. We're good. Now we're moving through into discipleship. So I have been in ministry in an official capacity since I was 20 years old. I um, took over from my youth pastor. Well, long story short, he asked me to come back and intern with him right? I was in college, first two years of college. He said, hey, move back here. You can intern with me throughout the year. I'll train you up in ministry, because at the time, that's what I was wanting to do. He'd been training me for years. We'll get to that in a minute, but I, um, so I do. I change, I transfer schools and move back home, and over the summer, he takes a job in Orlando. Come on. His name was Andy also, and um, he takes a job in Orlando, moves down here, and so now I'm there. I'm like, great, I came here to intern with you, and you left. So that's how I like, became in an official capacity in ministry, and I was there for four years and then moved here and had been with Acts 2 for six years now. But while I was there and throughout the past 10 years or so, yes, I'm 30, in the past 10 years or so, I um, have had many different models of discipleship presented to me. If you've grown up in the church, how many of you have had models of discipleship presented to you? Right? I mean, formulas. I had circles drawn with graphs and all kinds of stuff. They usually would buy me Longhorns when we did it. That was like the restaurant in town, small town. Um, But I had so many different models of discipleship presented to me. And to be honest with you, it really stressed me out sometimes. Because I'm like, how in the world am I supposed to do all of these things with someone? Right? And so it really began to stress me out. And so what I love to go back to is how I was discipled and how I was poured into and how I was led. And it's how Jesus did it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about as we go forward. And that's the lens that we're going to be going after it in. Okay? And so too often discipleship exists outside of the family mindset. Right? Too often it exists outside of the family mindset, and it makes it seem very rigid and religious instead of like raising the next, next generation to far exceed all that we could imagine doing. So often this concept of discipleship, this concept of pouring into others is viewed as, I have to get them to memorize the Bible. I have to teach them to do these things right or they will do wrong. But if we change our mindset to that that Jesus had of, I want to lead people 
to do things that are far greater than I could ever imagine doing. That's when we begin to catch it. And that's when it becomes to be like family. And that's when it becomes enjoyable, right? Because if we do it simply out of the rules and regulations and the rigidness of it, it's not that fun. I've tried it. It did not work. It does for some. I'm not taking that away from anybody. But for me, what really worked was going after it from a different perspective. And so we're going to look at the method that Jesus used, which I think is the best one because Jesus did it. So Jesus found 12 ordinary men. Yeah, tax collectors, fishermen, all kinds of fun people. Jesus takes these 12 dudes and pours his life into them for three years, right? Pours his life into them for three years. And he didn't do it so that they could just be like the power team while they're together. He did it with the future in mind. He did it with the future in mind. He did it with us in mind. How about that? Start reading about how he called the fishers of men to come. And then he's like, he was thinking about you. That'll change you, right? Okay, so pause right here. I'm a youth pastor. I ask questions. They're not rhetorical. I like answers. So feel free to talk back to me. I'm used to it, right? Thank you. Thank you, Blake. So (laughs) Jesus' model for succession, Jesus' model for continuing the momentum was this, his mission. You ready for this? It's going to be on the screen behind me. To restore sons and daughters to the Father. That enough is awesome. To restore sons and daughters to the Father. But he takes it a step further and teach them to walk by the Spirit and commission them to call other lost sons and daughters back to the Father. That was Jesus' mission. That's what he came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? That's what Jesus was doing. So he wants to restore sons and daughters back to the Father. And this goes back to what Blake shared earlier about the whole second best thing. Man, God creates man. Man screws up. God doesn't send pick a man on earth to take the punishment, but rather he sends his only son, his best, to come and be the lion and to be the lamb and be the sacrifice that saves us all. So that's what God is all about, is restoring us back to that relationship with him. And Jesus caught this and knew it, and he went after it too. He wanted to restore sons and daughters back to the Father. And the method that he does it with is this. It's going to be on the screen again. Reveal the Father in context of long-term relationship by demonstrating power and priorities of his kingdom and modeling what it looks like to live in complete unity and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send someone that is greater than I. Imagine being a disciple, being one of his 12 dudes at the time. They were following him. They're watching him do all kinds of crazy stuff. People, you know, food, they come up with a basket and say, Jesus, this is all we got, man. And he goes, that will be enough, and feeds 5,000 people. And they watch all these things. They watch this incredibleness that he does. I make up words. It's okay. (laughs) He watches them do incredible things, right? And then he looks at them, and he says, I am sending to you someone that is greater than I am. I know several different personality types, and I'm sure the disciples fit all of those. Some of them are like, yes, this is awesome. Someone greater is coming. And some of them are like, I don't know. You're pretty awesome. How are you going to send someone greater than yourself? This does not make sense to me, Jesus. What are you doing here? And so he does all of this and he, um, he tells them that. And then they live in this place of, okay, someone else is coming. 
Someone else is coming. What's going to happen, right? And so I love this definition, this definition of Jesus's method right here by saying what it looks like to live in complete unity and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Question, what does it look like to live in complete unity with and dependence on the Holy Spirit? For me, that's two different parts, right? It's real easy to live in unity with the Holy Spirit, right? We accept Jesus, and then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit's in us, right? That's that that we get when we step into the family of God. We have Holy Spirit within us, and then we learn to live in unity with that. But then there's the beginning to learn in dependence on the Holy Spirit, the dependence on what God has brought for us, right? And it's not just for signs and miracles and wonders. It's in every single moment of our life. Everything that we do is living from that complete dependence on him, right? It's so good when we really take a step back and begin to look at that and say, okay, yes, I want to live in unity with Jesus, with God, with Holy Spirit, and I also want to live in dependency on them because I am not, but I know I am, right? That's what we get to pull on. That's what we get to have access to. And so a core value that we're going to go through right here We transfer Jesus' mission successfully to the next generation by cultivating relationships in which we train people to be led by the Spirit and walk in His power and presence. I'm going to read it again. We transfer Jesus' mission successfully to the next generation by cultivating relationships in which we train people to be led by the Spirit and walk in His power and presence. One reason my wife and I love, 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 love doing youth ministry is we love, love, love training up the next generation. We love to watch them and become who they are. (laughs) You know, that teenage years can be kind of awkward, right? Right? Yes. You're on your phones. Um, you can, uh, the teenage years can be kind of awkward, right? And so we get the, the opportunity to watch them become that and then launch them into, the ne- into what they're doing in their future and where they're headed. And it's so key that we take this core value right here and we instill it in ourselves because this is what Jesus did. And we want to successfully complete his mission on our part. I don't think the mission's ever completed because it's ongoing, right? And so we want to successfully complete that by cultivating relationships and by pouring into the next generation. Does that mean someone younger than you always? No. Does it mean someone older than you sometimes? It could, right? So now we're going to jump into the Word. You ready for that? You guys. Let's wake up together. Remember, I hang out with teenagers. So, Hebrews 12, verse 5. Some of you know this passage, and you're like, where's this going? So I want to actually start that off, and Christiana, you don't have this. It's okay. By um, reading out of Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation today because I love it. Does anybody else like the Passion Translation? Yeah. It's a good one. It just speaks to me sometimes, and so I I, I tend to gravitate towards it from time to time. So Proverbs chapter 3. One thing I miss is the sound of turning pages in Bibles. I'm guilty of it too. I use my phone all the time, but I miss that sound. Sometimes I just turn mine extra so I can hear it a little bit more. Proverbs 3 verse 11. My child, when the Lord God speaks to you, never take his words lightly and never be upset when he corrects you. 
For the Father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Isn't that good? Verse 12. For the Father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is harsh, it's still better than any father on earth gives to his child. I'm going to keep going. Those who find true wisdom obtain the tools for understanding the proper way to live, for they will have a fountain of blessing pouring into their lives to gain the riches of wisdom is far greater than gaining the wealth of the world. And as wisdom increases, a great treasure is imparted. Greater than many bars of refined gold is more valuable com- commodity than gold and gemstones, for there is nothing you desire that can compare to her. Wisdom extends to you long life in one hand and wealth and promotion in the other. Out of her mouth flows righteousness, and her words release both law and mercy. The ways of wisdom are sweet, always drawing you into the place of wholeness. Seeking for her brings the discovery of untold blessings, for she is the healing tree of life to those who taste her fruits. Isn't that good? I'm going to read the first two verses one more time because it's going to set our mindset up correctly to go through the rest. My child, when the Lord God speaks to you, never take his words lightly and never be upset when he corrects you. And this is key right here. Verse 12. For the father's discipline comes only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Only from his passionate love and pleasure for you. Even when it seems like his correction is hard, it's still better than any father on earth gives to his child. And so now we're going to go back to Hebrews 12, and we're going to walk through some of this together. And I promise we're getting to Jesus' method of discipleship. I don't have a watch on today, so you're in trouble. (laughs) And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as children? He said, my child... Don't underestimate the value of discipline and the training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. Let's take a pause right there. Okay. So in other words, what he's kind of saying here is don't tremble. Don't be super duper afraid if you stray from him. Why? Because he wants to bring you back. Everybody say he wants to bring me back. He wants relationship with me. There you go. You're lining yourselves up for the Lord's training, verse six, for the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. I love this. This too often can be misrepresented. Okay. <clears throat> this can be misrepresented. The, fa- the concept of love, right? The answer is yes. And this is why. Too often we base our view of love on worldly standards, right? Sometimes it can be a spouse or a parent or a friend that may love too hard, right? Or sometimes it's a brief moment of temporary satisfaction that can lead to long-term regret. We take this word love and it gets so misconstrued that when we read something like this, it really throws us off because it's like, wait, his love because of his love, but this is my concept of love and what love looks like. So you have to go back to this fact here that the way God loves is the pure love. And when we lean into that, we're able to begin to find the truth of what that looks like. This is also talking about a mother's nurturing love. 
in the Arabic, it says that. And so God in this one verse is saying, yes, I'm going to be that the strength and love that you need. And I'm also going to be that nurturing mother that you need at the same time. I'm going to be the lion and I'm going to be the lamb. And then we have complete access to all of that. And when we begin to step into that and we begin to realize, okay, when God's leading us, when others are leading us, this is where it's coming from. This is why we're doing it. This is what it's all about. And then it goes on to say, where did I go? I flipped the page. There we go. Fully embrace God's correction is part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. Again, the love definition of God, not the love definition that we like to put on it. For who has ever heard of a child who has never had to be corrected? Okay, we have a three-year-old, right? (laughs) Three-year-olds are experiencing the world in a brand new way. Three-year-olds are adventuring out into finding, what does this look like? What can I do? What am I not supposed to do? What is safe for me to do and what is not safe for me to do? So would it be right for me to look at my three-year-old who's going to run and jump into a pool? And he doesn't, well, he kind of knows how to swim now. But if he didn't, to say, yeah, go jump on in. That's fine. See what happens. <clears throat> and then I just stand there and watch him jump in the pool. What's going to happen? Probably not good, right? <laughs> and so in those moments... Correction is required. Guidance is required. Love is required. And so I'm not trying to create my toddler to be a three-year-old who listens and obeys. I'm trying to create a 21-year-old that's loving the world, that's loving the Father because the way he saw us love him. And I'm trying to see a 50-year-old that's fathering his grandchildren, not fathering, but loving his grandchildren in a way that's different because of what I'm pouring into him right now. And so it's not correction. It's not discipline that I'm after. It's the future. It's his whole life that we're trying to set him up for. And so when we go at it from that mindset and that approach and we look at how God likes to do that with us, it makes it a lot better. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's a, hey, you're better than that. Hey, I've got this for you. Or sometimes, a lot of times, it's, hey, you forgot about this. Actually, this is what I was calling you to. This is way better than this. So come back over here. Let's line back up. And then we're going to start going in the right direction again together. That's all i got to say about that. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share in his holiness. Now all discipline, verse 11, now all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later it will produce a transformation of character. There you go. Longevity, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield it. Come on. That's what this is all about. God, this whole word discipline that's used in there can also be translated into correction, instruction, or training. God is raising up the next generation. God is calling us into our destinies. He call, he's calling us into our futures. He's calling ins, us into what he has for us. And sometimes that can look like a redirect, you know? It's like, hey, you're going this way. Let's go this way. But then it comes back to what Jesus did, right? What Jesus did. Jesus' model of discipleship. It's so beautiful and it's so pure, right? He takes 12 dudes and changes the world. Come on. How often do you see that happen? Twelve guys, and then look where we are today. Take it a step further, there was one 
who went and said, Jesus is alive, right? There was one that had to go forth and say, Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And the dude in charge at the time was sitting there saying, we're going to tell everybody this story, that he's still dead, that his body was stolen. But what is it that we celebrate today? That he's alive, right? One, there's power when we line up with what God's doing. There's power in what it is. So back to discipleship. This whole concept of honor, not a concept, this whole thing of honor that we've been talking about and truly honoring people and loving people. How do we pass it on to the next generation? And then it's even a step further. How do we pass on everything that God has taught us onto those that are next, to those that are going to far exceed everything that we've ever done? I would like to think of it like pie. Um, I don't know. It's just what it ended up being. So the first thing that Jesus did was proximity. <clears throat> proximity, right? And Jesus' model of discipleship and Jesus' model of training those 12 men was proximity. What did they do together? Everything. Occasionally he would be like, okay, I need a break. I'm going to go over here and talk to the Father, and I'll be right back to tell you what he said. So it's not like you don't live together all the time, all the time, all the time. There is time alone, but no. Proximity is so key because Jesus took the disciples wherever he went, and he let them watch and participate in what he was doing. It wasn't stand over there and watch me do marvelous works. It was, hey, come be a part of this with me. Let's change the world together. Come on over here. And so for us, in this series that we've been going through on honor, it's we are now bringing people along with us and saying, hey, let's really honor people well. Let's honor them and show them what this looks like, and let's watch what happens after that. My youth pastor, his name was Andy. I talked about him earlier, Andy Lowry. <clears throat> he, uh, I called him Lowry because I always felt weird saying my own name. And he, <clears throat> and he called me Steiner. And um, so that was fun. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> those were our two names at the church because everybody would just say Andy. And I just eventually ignored it. If I ever heard Andy, I didn't respond because I'm like, that's probably for him. And then they'd say it two or three more times. I'm like, oh, they're actually talking to me. But we, um, we did a lot together. So he really did this proximity thing very, very, very well. <clears throat> he basically brought me into his family with he and his wife. And it was so awesome. I had amazing parents and everything. It's not about that. It's just the fact that he brought me in and wanted to pour into me and wanted to raise me up to be something. Raise me up to be somebody that passionately pursued what God had for me and passionately pursue all that we did. And so even, I mean, like we were in the first mission trip I ever went on was to the Czech Republic. Has anybody ever been to the Czech Republic? Yes. Prague. It's a beautiful city. It's my favorite city. I've ever been to in the world, and um, I've been to a few, but he, uh, we were there, okay, we're staying out in the countryside, I have no idea where we were, but we were staying out in the countryside somewhere, and um, he, uh, he comes to me, he goes, hey, I got one of the guys from here, I got the keys to their car, let's go, and I'm like, okay, where you go, I'll go, and so I went with him, hopped in the car, and we take off in the middle of Europe, and we have no idea what we're doing, he wants a Coke, so that's what we're going for, is going to find a Coke. And um, so here we go, the two of us. And he, the whole time we're going, he goes, dude, we're in Europe. We're in Europe together. I'm like, yes, we are. And we're driving around in Europe together. <laughs> Don't even know if you can do that, but we are. And um, so we do, we go, and we end up going into a bar and getting a Coke. 
and then leaving together. And um, eh, it was interesting, but there was nobody there. So we went in, got a Coke, went back to the hotel, had a great time. But here's the point. I remember that. I remember that time I had with him in the car. Why? Because we were together. We were together. He would go and speak at retreats, and he would always take me with him. Sometimes he would take somebody else, but he would always take me with him. At the time, I was his favorite, and it really bothered some other people. But he was, um, it's okay. I was his favorite. And he poured into me, and he took me places with him. He, we would go to Alabama. We went to Alabama one time, and uh, we were staying at a retreat center, and it was just he and I in the room hanging out. And then we decide, hey, there's a good place about two hours from here that has some of the best ribs we've ever heard about. Let's go. And we hop in the car, two-hour road trip for barbecue. And the whole time we're just talking, talking about life. It's not wasted time, right, because we're together. That concept of proximity is one that's important. We got there. We enjoyed some of the best ribs in the world. Dreamland Barbecue, if you ever find yourself in um, Tuscaloosa is where it started. But you sit down and they say, how many slabs do you want? You know it's going to be a good day when that's what they say. And you can say, how about some baked beans? Nope. How many slabs do you want? And there's a loaf of bread on the table if you want some. White bread. You know, the kind that's real squishy. I can't have it anymore, but um, that stuff is amazing. We did that together. We both left feeling so incredibly sick because you eat so many racks of ribs, and then they say, you want some banana pudding? And we're like, yep. <laughs> you only cook like three things here. I'm going to eat it all. And, um, and we did, and it was amazing. But again, the point was we were doing it together. Loaded up his house to move the floor to the two of us did it. It took five people when they got here to unload it, so... That was us. We were awesome. But the point was he poured into me for a very long time, and he did it by us being together. He did it by us being together in proximity of each other. Why? That's what Jesus did. He took those that were with him. There were a lot with him that would follow him for a while, and eventually they got kind of freaked out when he said, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, okay, we're done. And then he was left with those that said, no, there's something to this. There's something about you. There's something that I want. And he did that life with them for three years. And now, again, look where we are today because of it. And so another one is our leader, Andrew Lamb. Met Andrew in his house six plus years ago. And um, it was actually when they were first, first time they talked about moving into this building in the house is where I met Andrew. And um, <clears throat> so we've had a lot of moments together patio moments, and I have had some very challenging conversations with him, but he's uh, really challenged me in areas, and it really has set me up to be who I am today. And so I've had so many different people come alongside me and say, come with me. We're going to do this together. We're going to do this in proximity of each other, right? And now I'm catching what he's doing. I'm catching what he's preaching. I'm catching who he is. I'm catching what he's imparting. And now it's something that I hold on to because I'm like, yes, I can do that too, right? Does that seem hard? Does this concept, this part of discipleship seem hard? Not really. It's calling somebody and saying, hey, I've got some yard work. You want to come help me with it? It's not because I want free labor or cheap labor. It's because I want to be with you. It's because I want to do this with you. Or maybe it's, hey, let's go grab coffee whatever it is, doing life together and specifically with the intention of pouring into who's next. Yep. And you bring them alongside you and say, we're going to do this together, right? Whenever you see in a business or a school or really anywhere, it, when, 
there's a peaceful exit of one leader. You know what I'm talking about here. <coughs> Somebody wasn't like axed and fired. It was more of, hey, I'm going to resign in a month. Now we need a peaceful transition period. You see those people training together going forward, right? Because it's setting them up to succeed. And so it's all about doing it together. Eddie Taylor is a um, pastor that I love. He's part of a ministry that you'll hear about in a minute. But um, I watched him at a retreat. They have a uh, school of ministry that they do, and it's, it's awesome. It's Summit Ministry School. It's a year long, and uh, you commit to it for a year, and it's like school school. I mean, every morning, and then you work in the afternoons. But he had some of his students with him at a retreat, and he's taking them with him while he's doing ministry. How often do you see people say, sit over there and watch what I do? That's not what it's about. It's about doing it together. And he would take them with him and he would be praying for people and he would look at them and say, do you have a word? They'd be like, yes. And then they would give a word. Or if they didn't, they're watching him do it. And I've caught, on, caught stuff that he's done because I've been in proximity of him. So this whole concept of how do we even begin to transfer this honor and to raise up a generation of honor, it's by being with people. Novel idea, right? Being with people because it's caught, not taught. Uh-oh. And the I in pie is interaction. Jesus invited questions, right? How many of you have read your Bible? Did Jesus ask questions? All the time. And so this is, um, Jesus invited questions and asked provoking questions to get disciples to examine and change their thinking. This is what I love about that. It wasn't to call them out. It wasn't to sit there and laugh at them if they got it wrong. It was to challenge them to examine their thinking. And so when we are discipling others, it's our goal to begin to challenge thinking, correct? It's not, you will think this way. Why? Because then it's not theirs. They don't own it. But when you ask thought-provoking questions, when you ask questions about life, then you begin to think about those, and then you begin to rethink how you think some things because you're really examining what's in front of you. You're examining what God's put in front of you. And it's so powerful when we start to do that. And Jesus just created such a safe place for them to learn. Such a safe place for them to learn. I love when Paul Coomer was here, Paul and Susan, uh, in January, the pastoral staff, we each got an hour with both of them. It was awesome. And he had questions that he was asking me. And I'm like, this is good. <laughs> this is challenging my thinking. This is challenging what I believe, not what I believe, believe, but it's challenging the things that I've been struggling with because he's asking the question, because we're having interaction together, right? And so that's the I in, dis- in, in pie. <laughs> and the last one is empowerment, not delegation. That's a huge one to me, Okay. Many moons ago, I read an article, had another youth pastor friend of mine. He, he kind of had mentored me also. Um, I like to find mentors. It's what I like to do. Find people that will pour into me, and then I go to them. But he uh, emailed me an article, and it was the difference between delegation and empowerment. And let me tell you, it's a huge difference between delegating something to someone and empowering someone to do it, right? Jesus modeled this beautifully, right? And through it, he communicated value and trust and affirmation 
to his disciples with clear target words about their identity, purpose, and calling. Come on. That's what we get to do as well. We get to empower those around us to change the world. How? Calling their destiny forth. Calling their destiny out. Calling their identity back into alignment. Calling up, right? Saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is not, this is who you are. And that's what God's calling you to. And so everything that he was doing through that was communicating to them, I value you and I believe in you. Now here comes the empowerment. It's in Matthew 28, verse 18. How many of you know it? Okay, remember, I like interaction. Yes, then Jesus came close to them and said, all authority of the universe has been given to me. Awesome. It's been given to Jesus. Now let's watch the empowering part. Go to the next one. Now, go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Jesus has empowered us all to be world changers, right? We're not about a moment, but a movement. And that's what we go forth, and that's what we go after, is we want a movement of people that are so lit on fire for God that we're infecting everyone that we come around. And everywhere that we go, we're beginning to see transformation. You walk into Wendy's, and people are feeling your presence because they feel the God in you. They see the God in you. They see what he's doing in your life. And so too often we stop at this verse right here which is awesome. This is huge, right? Empowerment, right? Jesus says, all authority in the universe has been given to me. Now in that same authority, go forth into all the nations, right? Now let's look at the next one. And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. It was important to Jesus that they not just go and baptize people and then leave, it was important that they don't just go and find, you know, convert people into believers and say, job well done, bye. It was important to Jesus that we start this movement of momentum, right? And it continued the momentum that he had started by pouring into those, by teaching them, by training them, by leading them, by loving them. And from that, you can begin to see things really begin to shift and change. I told you a minute ago about an organization that I'm a part of, and Danielle is as well. It's called Family Discipleship Ministries. And this is, um, obviously, their whole thing is discipleship through family. And it's such a beautiful organization and beautiful thing that they do. Eddie Taylor's a part of it. But I want to talk about one man in specific, and his name is Ray Owens. Papa Ray, as he's referred to by many, and you'll see in just a moment why. But this guy, I mean, it's like the whole six degrees of separation thing, right? Is that the right, correct number of degrees in that saying? Um, thank you. And so it's that with him. So I, we move here. Danielle and I move here. We're with Andrew and Jocelyn. We're in a team meeting one Tuesday evening sitting right over there. Robert and Connie are there. And we're sitting there talking about the church and stuff. And I'm like, hey, there's a retreat that we would love to take our youth to. At the time, there were two of them, so it was nice and easy. And um, there's a retreat we'd love to take them to. It's called Winter Retreat. We do it with Family Discipleship Ministries. And Jocelyn goes, wait a minute. Family Discipleship Ministries. And I said, yeah. And she said, 
is Ray Owens in that? And I said, yeah, how do you know Ray? He was my youth pastor. <laughs> Come on, that's crazy, right? No idea. And now we're connected in a whole nother way. And it's because of what Ray did. It's because of what Papa Ray has done. So go ahead and put this picture up there. You can't, the, the, the words are really small, so you might not be able to read it, but look at how big it is. You guys see that? That's a family tree that's from 2010. It's old and it's not up to date. Now it would be twice that big. And so to give you an idea, I'm going to step behind the keyboard here. This is where Papa Ray is, right? These are the people that poured into him and this is where he is. And everything else comes from that. Isn't that big? I mean, can you see all these names up here? And now all these people would have people attached to them as well because they saw what he was doing. They saw how impactful it was. And they said, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that. I want to change the world with you. And so Jocelyn and Andrew would be on here as well. They're not on this one. It needs to be updated. And then my youth pastor is right here. See how far down the chart. And so now he would have a notch off of him that has me on it. And now he's got others as well. And then under me, there's people who are currently in ministry that I discipled. And you see how this just keeps going, right? Because it's not about a moment. It's about a movement. It's about as moving as a family and going after stuff. And I called Ray on Sunday this week. I don't remember days this week. When you have a two-month-old in the house, sometimes days, it's just like, where am I going today? I thought it was still May. I knew I was speaking this week, but I thought it was May. I was on the phone with my dad the other day, and I'm like, yeah, well, VBS isn't for a couple of weeks, right? And he goes, son, it's June. I'm like, oh, <laughs> good to know. Has been for 10 days. And so it's important that we look at this and we see the power of it. Do you guys see that? It's insane what this family tree looks like because a man said, I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to lead them. Dr. Mark Rutland, anyone familiar with him? He's on there. He's right up there under Jack Taylor, who is Jocelyn's stepfather. Discipleship, pouring into others. So many, so often we hear the word discipleship, and I feel like it's like people are like, oh, that's such a church word. Yes, we use it a lot, but you see it everywhere. We see the world leading and training people, right? And one way or another, people are learning. One way or another, people are being led. Now, who's going to lead them to what is the question? I put a line on here because I felt like the next one was another message. And it is. And so I think it's important that we look at that and we look at this concept of discipleship. This is something I've been wanting to teach on here for a long time. And it just so played out that that's what this was on. And the whole concept, that's the last core value. And um, that'll have to be a message for another day. But we'll read it now. <clears throat> spiritual parents honor their spiritual sons and daughters by investing the time, challenging interaction, and encouraging words necessary to cultivate spiritual maturity in them. It's beautiful. And so that's what we're about. That's what, if, if we as a church began to grasp hold of this and said, I want to pour into those around me. I want to find those that I see a future in, that I see a destiny in, and I want to call it out. I want to bring it up. Andy Lowry, my youth pastor, sat me down. He washed my feet when I was a senior in high school, and he said, you're going to do more for the kingdom than I could ever imagine. Wow. 
He did that in front of all of his leaders. Why? Because that's why he did it. That's why for four years he poured into my life. Four years that he poured into my life was so that he could see fruit come out of my life. And if we begin to grasp this as we don't have to disciple people because it's this rules and regulations, but we want to see fruit in people's lives. We want to see destiny in people's lives. And especially what we've been talking about, we want to see this whole thing of honor begin to shift the world and the way around us. How many of you have been guilty of saying millennials and rolling your eyes? Come on, hands across the room. I've said it. I might be one. I'm not sure. I don't know where that falls, right? What are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? What are we doing about the next generation? What are we doing about the generation that you are that seems to have gone astray? Why aren't we pulling people in and saying, let's do this. Let's have pie. (laughs) Right? This thing is about a movement. Acts 2 Church, we're not about a moment. We're not about a moment here on a Sunday morning. We're about a movement of revival that affects a region, that affects a nation, and that affects a world. Right? And how do we do that? Pouring into others. Loving others. So I want to challenge you today to think about the question of, who am I pouring into? And what am I pouring out? That's the fun part of the question. Right? Interaction. It's on there. It's the I and pie. And so it's important that we recognize that and we look at that. What am I pouring out? What am I giving off? Do I honor here and not out there? Do you honor the person who's speaking or do you honor the person sitting next to you as well? What does it begin to look like for us as we begin to build this momentum moving forward? What does it begin to look like when we look around and we say, there's golden Blake and I want to call it up, and I want to find it, and I want to watch it thrive. I want to watch it multiply, and I want to watch it grow, and I want to watch him do incredible things. What does it look like when we begin to do that with everyone around us? We see transformation. We see transformation through the revelation of God's goodness and everything that he has for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Let's stand up. We still love you, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, you are good. Yeah, Father, help us to catch this concept that you laid forth. Help us to catch this life that you lived. Yeah. The the way that you created 12 world changers in three short years, and we're still reaping the fruit of that now. Yeah, teach us that. Give us that heart, that desire, and that passion to truly change others, to see the gold in them and call it up, to go digging for it and bring it forth. Give us the desire to be more about a movement than a moment. Yeah. Yeah, I want to just release this over the room. I want to release... Spiritual family trees over the room right now. Whether it started before you or whether it starts with you, 
We're releasing that over the room right now. And this is about a movement. We're going to see for generations to come and generations after that, we're going to see the goodness that you have done by simply pouring into and loving people and loving the next generation. Yeah, family trees, redeemed family trees. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness, your love for us. We thank you for the 12 that you poured into, Father, and how it's affected us still today. And Jesus, I thank you that it didn't stop with them, that you do that with us now. You're in our midst. You interact with us and you empower us. We get to live in that with you. We get to live in that with others. So right now, Jesus, just back to family trees. We release spiritual family trees in this room. We release a movement. We release the movement, Jesus. We thank you. It's the river. As you step into it deeper and deeper and deeper, eventually you get swept away. Where does it go? A land where there's fruit on the trees by the shore. Green grass all around. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, wonderful and holy and magnificent and precious name. Amen. Stay right where you are. If you've never experienced the love of Jesus, if you've never encountered his goodness, if you've never met the person of Jesus in your life, we're going to have a ministry team up here. You guys go ahead and come on up. I'll be up here. If you've never met the person of Jesus, I would love to see the movement starting you today. So we'll be up here for you. And um, the rest of you, you're free to go. But if you've never met the person of Jesus, we are here to introduce you to him. And it's the best decision you could ever make in your life because it all starts with him. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.